when I explain you're going to get a, a territory and a credit card and a laptop. Go. Being able to, to come in and, and attack it and grow it, it's not as easy as it has been in the past. Welcome to The X Factor, where we visit with proven private equity-backed leaders to unpack a compelling area of value creation to help our listeners gain an edge. X Factor is presented by Private Equity CXO, the world's largest digital community of PE-backed executives. You can find a link to PECXO in the description to start your free membership and unlock exclusive content. I'm your host, Rob Huxtable, partner at Falcon, a retained executive search firm exclusively recruiting C-level leaders for private equity-owned portfolio companies. Today, I'm joined by Tom Barrett, a private equity operating partner and multi-time CEO. We're excited to hear Tom's strategies on how C-level leaders can roll up their sleeves to help address sales rep turnover. Tom, welcome, and let's get into it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And as Rob said, I've actually been a CEO for the last 14 years, two different companies. Most recently, it was a SaaS company in the IT Wi-Fi monitoring space and had significant experience growing up through sales, account management, strategic account management. And, and at the end of the day, everybody's in sales, no matter what your title is at, at a certain point. Well, good deal. Let, let's jump in. So my first question is, you're not a chief revenue officer, you're a CEO, but yet this issue that's uh, a passion project for you is, is sales rep turnover and sales rep hiring. Tell me why this is your topic as opposed to a broader general management issue. Sure. All positions are expensive when they turn over, Rob, as I'm sure you are well aware, but sales rep turnover for two reasons. One, it's been high for the last seven years, more so than I had seen in any time in the past. And two, the expense of a sales rep turnover for a SaaS company, when you start to do the math, gets really expensive very fast. It's not just the uh, opportunity costs, it's the multiple of ARR costs and value to the company that they bring when you make a mistake and bring in the wrong person. Yeah, no doubt. And even for our friends out there that are in non-recurring revenue businesses, uh, the pain points are just as acute, but the the multiples are slightly different, but uh, painful nonetheless. So take us through sort of what led you to start digging into sales rep turnover and sales rep hiring. What was the historical context? And just kind of step us through uh, what the journey looked like. Sure. Well, it's I've made a ton of mistakes. And uh, happy to share some of those here as we try to figure out the right formula. And, and I don't think there is an exact formula that works, but certainly there are things that have worked better than others to, to find the right people and bring them on. But what brought me to this is purely experiencing the, the turnover. And it's, and it's bad for everybody. It's bad for the person because they just wasted their time. It's bad for the company. It's bad for the investors. So it, it's a big problem across every industry that's you know certainly technology-based that I'm aware of and, and, and talk to a lot of my peers in that space as well. So one of the things that I did to figure out what does this mean you know, to the, to the value that I'm talking about? So if you walk through expectations of a first-year sales director, sales rep, experienced sales rep, even at a, a million-dollar quota, that first year, it's going to be significantly less. The KPIs on the measurements are going to be more focused on activity-based. And let's say it's a three-month buildup of a pipeline. It's two to three months to get a couple of POCs done. And then it's a couple of months to get a, a couple of deals done. And then you also, you'll, you'll be fed a few current accounts to get some expansions. 
blend all that together, let's say minimum expectations is $200,000 to $250,000 AR in, in a sex world. Not, you're not blowing the doors off, right? But what you do have is now you've got a million dollar plus pipeline set up for next year. And let's just say this all works. So you have 200,000 of new ARR sold, got a million dollar pipeline, and next year your quota is a million dollars, you know, life is good. When you make the mistake, first of all, that 200,000 of ARR in a, in a multiple, when you do sell the company at some point, the multiple is really what hurts you. So we lost the 200K because we hired the wrong person. And you lost the seven to 10 times ARR for the multiple of that. So it could be upwards of $2 million of, of making the wrong hire in the first day. So that's, that's the reason and the magnitude of this, Rob, is, is why it became so important. So this isn't the total opportunity cost. That's the year one pain point. Really year one. And it's a flywheel, too, because now I don't have the million dollar pipeline built for year two. And I have to, now I put a new person in. They go through the exact same process. Right. And, and, and that just extrapolates and compounds over time. And, and as you've observed reps onboarding and sort of working through their trial period, how long does it take you to determine if a rep's going to make it and, and be the right hire? And, and how can our audience members learn from that and maybe get there a little bit more quickly? I desperately want them to succeed, right? And I'm, I'm pushing and suggesting and, and trying everything I can to, to help them succeed. Certainly, I'm helping with marketing. But, you know, within the first three months, if based on their activity levels, if if they're doing and it looks like they're going to, to do the right things to, to be successful. Generally, there's always exceptions. For the first three months, if the activity isn't there, meaning that new meetings attended, you start to figure out what's wrong. What could we be doing differently? And how do we need to make changes? That's, that's an early indicator. So the first three months, really an assessment of will versus skill. Are they doing the basics, the blocking and tackling? Do the behaviors and the sales activity look like they're on or above point in terms of your expectations. And then how about from sort of month three to month 12 or whatever the next phase is when you start to assess more of the skill? Yep. So months four to five is the expectation of at least two to three proof of concepts qualified. And again, these aren't, these aren't the expectations. This is minimal uh, uh, expectations. Uh, hopefully they're doing a lot more, but two to three qualified POCs, month four to five, and then month six to seven, close one of those deals. And, you know, in our world, an initial deal is $20,000 of ARR. It's a land and expand in, in our particular use case. And then months eight to 12, it's to close three more deals and get one expansion done from one of the first ones. And that's, so when you start to do the math, along with a couple of existing accounts that you might get to help do expansions where you know, it's a opportunity to, to help boost somebody's first year to give them some things to work on. So their expansions there would be another you know, twenty dollars to $50,000. Yeah, so it sounds like one takeaway for the audience is whatever business model or industry you're in, clearly define the behaviors you need to see executed in months one through three, and then have a predetermined sort of successful conversion result in sort of the next couple quarters and the next couple periods, whatever the case may be, depending on sales cycle and average ticket price and so forth. And you know, sort of how, how rigorous are you on the application of, I guess what you said is there's a minimum standard. So if they're below that, it's kind of an easy decision. And if they're above it, you're trying to work with them to, to stretch their legs even further. But also it's not exactly black and white. If 
if someone doesn't have the revenue, right, but they have the activity, I can work with that. If there's there's something I can fix, I can help them with. So they're they're getting in front of the right people. So then we have to work on what's the value prop, how is their presentation, you know, what's the gap that they're missing because they're not getting to the next level. I can work with that all day long. What they need to be able to do is get in with the right people and have a an acceptable amount of that, a new net new meeting activity. And so as you think about some of the mistakes you've made where you maybe waited too long, what, what are the pitfalls that unsuspecting leaders can fall into and justify waiting longer than they should to make a move on what ultimately is a mistake in sales hire? That's a, that's a great question. And it's a tough one too, because you want them to see, succeed and, uh, and they want to succeed. And we, we you do a thorough interview process and it's just not working for a variety of reasons. The hardest thing to do, and, but the best thing to do is to make that decision as quick as you can as fast as you can, it's best for the person because they're not making the money they want to make, right? They're, and they don't have the pipeline. This, this is stressful for them and, and their family as well. So it's a bad situation across the board. Making that decision as fast as you can and, and waiting is, is absolutely terrible because the person's now farther behind in their career. The company's behind, farther behind. We haven't started recruiting the new one. If you if you have a pretty good indication that the person's not going to work out, and also it depends on the size of the company, you don't have the luxury of waiting eighteen to twenty four months to get somebody ramped up and productive. And and when you think back on those occasions when you did wait a month or a few quarters too long, why do you think that might have been? Was it was it too much belief in humanity, a little bit too much empathy, uh, busy and distracted on other items, and not focused on the metrics enough? What, what's the root cause that people need to watch out for? Well, you know, especially when they're great salespeople, they, and they've been successful in the past, they know what the right buttons to push are. The product isn't as good as it needs to be. The customers need A, B, and C, and we're not there yet. But at the same time, you've got to be uh, able to balance w- what the stage of the company is, the market. And if you're able to prove this somewhere in a different territory, then it's definitely repeatable. We're never, you're never going to have all the features and functions and technology that the customers want 100%, but you've got enough to certainly sell what everybody else is selling. That's, that's probably the number one. And then right behind that is going to be you, you want them to be successful. You don't like the turnover. And so you're, you think if we give them a little bit more time and if we're not as rigorous, you know, it, it may turn over. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Sounds like one of the selling skills that underperforming reps do have is sometimes convincing their bosses that they need more time and that the issue lies elsewhere and not with them. And, and sometimes that sale is made, unfortunately. It is. And, and Rob, it's amazing that it's, it's not a lack of capability of the person. They really, they've been successful. They want to be successful. It's not as though anybody is trying to fool the other person. It just doesn't work. It's mm-hmm. a lot harder than they thought it would be. They can get educated much faster on their own and then talk to a salesperson based on a a need. Yeah, no doubt. Beyond the traditional metrics of behaviors and calls and meetings and and so forth, are there a couple of KPIs that you found particularly useful that are a little bit more advanced? The the KPI that that we've focused on is probably the most important indicator is net new meetings attended. And, and how they get there, you know, will help them, you know, BDRs help them. They got to, you know, bring 
former relationships with contacts they've had in the past, at least to get the conversation started. And that is the number one indicator for a technology sales rep that's that's coming in cold, right? And not promoted from within. And and that's it's not terribly scientific. Yeah. And so for those in the audience that maybe even from a financial or operational discipline, explain what net new meetings is versus new meetings. Right. So you can have two or three or four meetings with a person before they buy. It's all in the numbers, right? As you count them. I know that they're going to follow up and push the sale through if they get somebody interested. So having two, three or four or five meetings, that's that's great. I just want to measure first meetings with a, with a brand new opportunity. That's what I call net new as opposed to a current customer or current prospect that's had two or three meetings with you. And those are all important and still have to happen. Net new, those are the hardest. Yep, good deal. And before we get into some of your tips on how to interview and vet and, and properly hire, one more question on kind of the, the cohort of a sales force. I look at a lot of businesses and the, the CEO will tell me that, you know, 20% of their reps are generating 80% or more of their net new business. Sometimes it's 90, 10 how do you think about that Pareto principle? And I know you're trying to get every hire right, but what are your thoughts on the overall performance of the cohort? Yeah, I think that's still pretty accurate, although it's trying to desperately change that. But it's roughly speaking, 80% coming from 20% of the people for, for new. Uh, for expansion, it's a little different. Account management, a little different animal, and that's a little more balanced. But net new, the hunting, it's roughly 80-20 rule. And so for that other 80%, is that presuming they're sort of not decently above the minimum, is that just an accepted continuous churn and you're just trying to iteratively expand from 80, 20 to, you know, 25, 75? You're doing the exact opposite of what, you know, Harvard says you should do. I spend, you spend almost all of your available time helping the 80% that aren't producing to help them along. And the 20% that are producing, you're, you're spending very little time and just imagine if we actually, you know, invested the time and energy into the people that were at that 20% level. You, you spend a lot of time and, and call it, they're at 50 to 80% of where they should be. And that's taking a significant amount of your, you know, especially the CRO's effort to get them to that point. But no, it's not acceptable. And when you try everything you can, training, joint sales calls, mirroring, feedback, coaching, as much as you can to try to get that 80% up higher. Sounds like a, an ongoing dilemma for management. How much time to spend watering your weeds versus uh, tending to your flowers, I suppose. So uh, moving over to the hiring side and the vetting side, is there one or two quick hacks on what you have felt has increased your inbound pipeline of candidate interest? Obviously, it's a competitive uh, universe out there and, and every company wants their unfair share of talented sales reps. So anything in particular that's been useful in attracting potential candidates? Search firms, LinkedIn, networking, you know, certainly the highest per success percentage comes from people that you've worked with in the past. They've got a history of working with, and that's actually probably the most successful for, for salespeople that is coming in. But one thing that aside from all the other things that we do to help, you know, interview in the interview process from assessments and rubrics and group interviews, individual interviews, all the different things you try to you actually including a outsourced psychologist as part of the interview process to make sure, hey, what are we missing here? Right? Are, you know, looking at the assessments and how we are and the expectations and connecting the dots. We've even done that. But one of the 
Rob, one of the most interesting things that, that we've done to change was we used to have each candidate at the last step of the cycle do a 90-day plan, a basic business and territory plan. If you had the job today, what would it look like? We'd invite 10 to 15 people to listen to a 30-minute explanation. And so what we ended up doing is they're all kind of the same, right? So we said, this, this isn't working. We're not getting any value. They're not getting any value. So what we ended up doing was switching to whatever industry you're in, sell us your product. Do a first call based on your particular company, product, industry, whatever you, you, you pick it, something you know inside and out, and present that to us as if we're a prospect. And we learned so much by doing it that way, because now you can hear the way that they talk and they explain whether they have the enthusiasm, technology skills to actually produce a demo and do some other things that you can't really test for with your with a new company because they don't know it yet. So that one was a recent one that was a change and that's been helping immensely. So you get a better indication of what the person's really like. Yeah, love it. it. Sounds like you can raise the bar of expectations too, instead of making excuses for somebody who is speculatively presenting on a product they've never dealt with before. They need to know this inside and out. It's their business today. And if you're not totally wowed, uh, it's easy to arrive at a pass, I would suppose. It is, especially when you're providing a, a, a premium product or service offering. It's not based on price. But when their presentation is really focused on price and we can get it's very inexpensive and some of the value props don't align with yours, then you, you kind of scratch your head a little bit and understand, well, you're you're not really a value based as opposed to you're more of a commodity based or buying on price versus we got to create the pain and actually resolve the pain after we show them it versus the other way around where you know they're, they're just buying something to replace the current product or service they have and it's a cheaper one that was it was very enlightening yeah okay so uh this has been great tom last question if if i'm a chief revenue officer in the audience i i'm taking this advice to heart and i can execute it myself if i'm somewhere else on the management team i have a better appreciation for how difficult it is but what advice do you have for the CEOs out there who might be thinking, well, this is the CRO's domain. What's my role in sales rep hiring without overstepping sort of uh, lines of communication? I've been lucky enough with, you know, my CRO with a, with a great relationship that I have is that we truly believe that two, three, four minds are much better than one. I don't know in the process or, or actually even the end, end decision of who gets hired or why. I'm just trying to make sure that we're looking at this objectively and making sure that the person is making the right decision as well as us. And it's, it's a partnership. So they still lead it. I just participate. I ask a lot of questions. I, I give crazy ideas and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but it's ultimately up to the CRO. And it's always nice to have other people and opinions in the boat with you, especially when turnover is so high. And, and to be clear, you're not just opining on the process itself, but you're actually interviewing every sales rep before they're hired. 100%. I think that is a compelling statement, especially in light of some of the painful financial metrics you laid out. And if we can even improve our hiring percentages incrementally, uh, it's going to be a huge dividend and, and your time well spent. Well, good deal. Tom, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I appreciate it, Rob. Really helpful and look forward to seeing more of these. Tune in for our next episode with a panel of guests on what the PE-backed executive hiring process looks like and what candidates must do to emerge from the pack and win the role. 
I'm your host, Rob Huxtable. Thank you for listening to The X Factor.